0: Now, we're going to read John 12, that the words are... Now, if you think that's too small, that's just a motivation to bring your Bible. Okay? That uh, if, if, you, if, you, if, you're, if you've got bad eyesight, well, more fool you for coming without one. So that's a dose of sympathy this morning to help you on your way. And I, I'm going to read it all. Sometimes uh, I kind of pull bits out. But I want to read it all this morning and then I'll explain why. So, six days before the the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. And Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples who was, who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having, ch- having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. The poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he'd raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The next day, the large crowd The world has gone after him. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies it remains alone but if it dies it bears much fruit whoever loves his life and loses it and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life if anyone serves me he must follow me and where i am there will be my servant also if anyone serves me the father will honor him now is my soul troubled and what shall i say father save me from this hour for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice from heaven came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd stood there and heard it and said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him, and Jesus answered, The voice came from, for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? so Jesus said to them the light is among you for a little while longer walk while you have light lest darkness overtake you the one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going while you have the light believe in the light that you may become sons of light when when Jesus had said these things he departed and hid himself from them though he had done so many signs before them he, he, they did not believe in him so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, to whom has, well, who has believed what, is, what he heard from us? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not, they could not believe. For again, Isaiah said, he, was, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my word and does not keep it, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The the one who rejects me and does not receive my words is a judge, and the word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know what his commandment is, eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. We, we, chapter 12, and we've been gone past it into the Last Supper discourse a couple of times, um, but we've just turned the clock back a little bit. And it's the triumphal entry chapter, as Jonathan said. Uh, only this isn't Palm Sunday. Uh, and singing Hosanna, Hosanna today would be like singing carols at East, uh, uh, in August, wouldn't it? Do you know what I mean? You, you can't do... Can't you? Well, you can't, can you? Because it's not Palm Sunday. And therefore, oh, heck. Because uh, I was given this passage to preach on. Oh how do I how do I preach on Palm Sunday when it's not Palm Sunday so it made me go back to the whole chapter and I realized that the chapter is not about the triumphal entry the triumphal entry is the introduction to the main theme of the chapter and, I, 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 and and John is, is, is very different in the way that he wrote his gospel. He's very deliberate what he puts where. Sometimes he changes the order in order to make the point. He wrote these things that you might believe. And the whole gospel is written with that intention to help us think about things that Jesus said and did and then the implications of them. And, and nowhere more true than here. And, and I felt that this business with the Greeks, uh, these people who came, remember very, very memorable, isn't it? So we would see Jesus. And, and then Jesus replies with this picture of unless a corn of wheat falls into the ground. and they, they, Somehow they, they stick, don't they, those, those parts. And uh, then, I, then I read um, Bruce Milne's uh, commentary in the Bible Speaks Today series, and he says that verse 20 is not just the center of the chapter, it's the center of the book. That everything leading up to the Greeks coming and their request is explaining who Jesus is and everything that follows this incident with the Greeks is explaining how to meet him. So I, I felt quite reassured then. Which, that's why I read the whole chapter. Because what you've got in the chapter, you've got this: the Mary anointing his feet, That's how John starts. And then you've got the triumphal entry and a bit of controversy around it because of Lazarus. And then you've got the Greeks and Jesus' comment on that. And then you've got that the rest of the chapter is about the danger of unbelief and how we we need to respond. And how we respond to Jesus is the pivot on everything in our lives, you see? Uh, So that's not only true of the chapter, it's true of the book. And you have these Greeks coming and wanted to meet with Jesus. The, the question hinders, does it, which Jesus? That, that they weren't sure. That, that's why they wanted this meeting. They, they were Greeks. That doesn't mean to say they came from Greece. They probably came from the Decapolis, which was a Greek-speaking part uh, of the northern parts of Israel at that time. And uh, they, they, they had come to worship, so they would be God-fearers, probably not proselytes yet. God, they, they were Greeks who quite liked the idea of one God, because, you know, the multiplicity of gods and the idea that Caesar is God is all a bit wishy-washy. The, the Jewish, the law, the covenant, the, the, the monotheism appealed. And a number of, of uh, from the nations started to come up to the feast. Uh, had they been there when Jesus cleansed the temple? I wonder, because they they could only go so far in the temple. They could go to the court of the Gentiles, and then there was a low wall. And uh, on the on the wall it said, you, 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 "You'll cop it if you go beyond this point. If you're not a Jew." They, they found the one of the signs has turned up in excavation just threatening death, don't you dare go beyond this wall. So these Greeks came to worship God, couldn't quite go to the special place, kept a little bit on the outside, and then having heard about Jesus, had they seen him, and being a bit curious, or were they confused, that they, they came and they spoke to Philip. Because he was from Bethsaida. He was from a Greek-speaking part of the world, and maybe the, he spoke like them. Uh, and they didn't quite know how they... What, can, you know, can you go straight to Jesus? So they went, they went to somebody, there's a lesson in that, who was a bit like them, and uh, it says that they, they asked, present continuous. They asked and kept on asking. So the, the way that they came, there's a measure of persistence in it, because they wanted to see Jesus. They, they wanted an interview. They didn't just want to clap their eyes on him. They, they wanted to meet him. They, they wanted to talk with him. They wanted to get to know. And actually, there were a lot of Greeks. What did they say in verse you 19, know, the, the Pharisees? The whole world is going after him. So that they were quite threatened by this incursion of non-Jews Hanging around in the court of the Gentiles. Uh, and and these Greeks come to Jesus and this uh, I'll come to first. We would like to see Jesus. Jesus gets Andrew, don't know why, um, and the, the two of them go to Jesus and says, Oh, Jesus, there's these, there's these Greeks. Um, and uh, they he want they want to see you. If you if you just look at what follows so almost as if Jesus completely blanked them. It's not obvious initially to see what the connection is between we want to see Jesus and, and, and Jesus, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, truly I say to you and on. Did he ignore them? Or did he answer them in a way that they didn't expect and in a much fuller way? that they wanted to see Jesus. And Jesus then starts to talk about himself, and the Father speaks to talk about him, turning the attention to exactly who are you wanting to meet. And the first thing that's said is this, you know, you're coming to a servant. Verses 25 and 6. In 25 and 6, there's a call to serve. Presumably, he's looking straight at the Greeks. And and he's saying that the the time has come for Jesus to be glorified. When he met with the woman at the well, he said, my time has not yet come. Remember? And uh, on on several occasions, chapter 7, verse 30, chapter 8, verse 20, my time has not yet come. Now, Now, as the cross approaches... The time has come for Jesus supremely to be demonstrated in his servant role. And so he's modeling something, which is why John, in writing the chapter, starts with Mary. Can you see that? Because she came and wasted herself on Jesus. She brought the, the ointment, expensive ointment, and anointed Jesus' feet to honor. She served the Lord Jesus. And then Jesus underscores the same message, or John draws attention to it, in his entry into Jerusalem from 12 to 9, the king's entry, Jesus demonstrating the nature of his kingdom on a donkey, on the colt of, uh, of, uh, of a horse, on a, just humble. I, I'm sure that we've all seen kind of the, the big... Um, Films about the the emperor riding in and on his white stallion, and, or, and the, the the great Greek leaders did the same thing. And Herod would love to, you know. They like splendour. They they like to look grand. Kings enter in triumph, you might say. And Jesus comes in exactly the opposite way. It's a kind of upside down kingdom, isn't it? It's a a way that's alien to the world and almost alien to Greeks. I'll pick that up in a minute. But uh, this is how Jesus works. We would see Jesus. Well, the Jesus you're coming to see first off is Jesus who serves and, of course, we are familiar with Philippi. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of a man he humbled herself, became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. This is Jesus' modus operandi. The kingdom is modeled in this way. We, we come as servants. And the, the, the phrase that he uses about the corn of wheat, the kernel of wheat, there's no glamour there, is there? I mean, none at all. The, 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 it's just a seed. And he's coming as a seed, dying in order to produce a harvest. And this is Jesus' model. He goes on in the next chapter to to wash their feet. Servant, servant. It's part of his DNA, we might say. And he's saying this to the Greeks that in Jesus' kingdom, there's no status for us, there's no self importance, there's no place for ego, there's no power play in what we do, there's no vanity. No stardom. (laughs) I don't know how to get that right, do we? (laughs) Because we make heroes of each other. Well, some do. There's no celebrity status. Jesus comes as a servant. It's a law of the kingdom, isn't it? If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel We'll say it's the way that Jesus operates. They've come to him. We want to see Jesus. And he's reminding them of who they're coming to see. And it's how we follow him, isn't it? As servants. Paul said in Corinthians 15, I die every day. Talking about lions in Ephesus. Uh, And in a sense, Mary modeling just with the anointing of his feet. Serving. And you could say that, you know leading a house group. There might be glamour for the first week when everybody's so glad that you're doing it and they don't have to. But, but, but after that, generally speaking, it's a slog, isn't it? It's a question of faithfulness to him. It's like doing children's work or youth work or taking out cups of tea in the cafe or trying to find that child in the nursery. We serve. We serve. As Christians... We we follow his DNA, we serve, that's what we're here for. Greeks, if you want to find him, you've got to find him this way. I've been reading, uh, I've read a couple recently, biographies of William Tyndall. He's one of my heroes. He was the first person to translate the scriptures into English. Wycliffe did a bit, but Tyndall did it all. It's just stunning. He, 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 was, he came from Gloucestershire, and uh, he went to Oxford, brilliant Hebrew. There weren't many Greek scholars then, but he became one and became a Christian and uh, became the tutor of, of a local lord, laird, uh, whatever they called him in, in Gloucestershire, um, in Little Sodbury. And it's thought that in Little Sodbury, he started to translate. The scripture and uh, some clerics came to what's the name of them, the guy to, to John Walsh's house in Little Sodbury. And uh, in the conversation, that uh, some referee, this radical, talking about always talking about the Bible, what about the Pope? What about the Pope? And, uh, and maybe unwisely, Tinder, who well, I just defy the Pope. I will cause the boy that driveth the plough to know more of the Scripture than thou dost. And he lived his whole life. He never married. He went to the Bishop of London to ask for permission to translate the Scripture. And and, and the Bishop of London said, not on your life. So the only way he could do it was to cross over into, into Europe and hide and translate and lived in poverty and charity his whole life, whole life. And, the, and then he, he finished the first translation of the Scripture, and he had a friend who was a cloth merchant, and so the, the, the Bibles were wrapped up in bales of, 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 of cloth and shipped into England and spread. And the, the spread of the Gospel starts really from that moment. In the end, they found him, Strangled him and burned him at the stake. Do you know? Within four years, the king himself had authorized a a a, a printing of Tyndall's Bible, the Great Bible. And you think, what? What? It just stirs me to the bone to think that one man would say that the, that the word of God that must get into the hand of a ploughman. He must know the scripture better than the bishop. And his whole life is given, just sacrifice on sacrifice. Compelling. You've got to come as a servant. But secondly, and this is inherent, isn't it, within the picture of the corn of wheat, you've got to come to a saviour. Jesus' death is imminent. He's going to be sown like a corn of wheat. And, he's, and it's the day of Passover, verse 1 reminds us. And he's coming to atone. He's coming as a sacrifice, as a substitute. He's coming in the words of Isaiah. That he was pierced for our transgressions, wounded wound for our transgressions. I only know that translation. Crush for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, uh, and by his stripes we are healed. Uh, and and Jesus is it, the, the, he's saying here that in, in verse twenty seven, that's why I came. That's why I came. And and then, and then in verse forty seven, I, I I I didn't come to judge the world. I came to save. <laughs> And if we've got to know Jesus, we've got to come to a saviour. He he describes in verse 32 and 3 the method, if the Son of Man be lifted up. Sounds great, doesn't it? But actually it was on a cross. It was on a Roman gibbet he was lifted up. And there is, just in the picture of the corn, this sense of must. Must. that The only way that you and I could have hope was if Jesus followed this course. And verse 23 says, this is the way to glory. Glory, doche, the Greek word, it's, it's majesty manifested. What an extraordinary thing that when Jesus was hanging there, the very glory of God was on display. That when the crucifixion, when the sky turned black, The very purpose and splendor of God was on open view. Wow. We come to a Savior. And of course the Jews, these are Greeks. Do you remember remember what Paul said? That Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Greeks but to those whom God hath called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. And, and so there, there's something of that here. These are Greeks coming. We want to see Jesus. Oh, you've got to go to Golgotha then. You've got to go to Calvary. You've got to go to the place of crucifixion, because that's where you come to know him. And Jesus, verse 24, truly, truly, verily, here that there's this emphasis this is the main deal here you come to a savior because of course this is why he died isn't it verse 31 and 32 are are just amazing let me read them to you the voice that now is the judgment of this world this is talking about the cross now is the judgment of this world now will the ruler of this world be cast out and then when i'm lifted up From the earth I will draw all people to myself. In the crucifixion, sin was put on public display and judged. The devil and all his works just came to ruin at the cross. He disarmed principalities and powers and made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in him. And he, not, not only did, did he triumph, he's exalted, lifted, and drawing this harvest. Because this is why he died. He's the seed that will produce much fruit. And there are references to it. He's going to reconcile us, going to forgive us, to adopt us, to secure our eternal Future through dying. And of course the prospect, there's almost Gethsemane here, isn't there? In in verse 27, now is my soul troubled. It's this cup business, isn't it? God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. The Holy One had all of our sin laid on him to win, to buy, to secure, to reign. And it, it's, this is how the kingdom comes. It's by people coming and bowing and coming under rule that rebels becoming followers, lost people becoming found people. I hear the phrase kingdom work being used in all kinds of ways. I'm not sure that it actually fits with what the New Testament says. Certainly doesn't have any parallel in, in, in the Acts of the Apostles. I'm all for community work and service and, and being salt and light, but don't call it kingdom work. Kingdom work is about the gospel. It's Leslie Newbigin and David Bosch who introduced an ecumenical concept of mission that is driving that whole idea that kingdom is about serving out there. That's not how the New Testament uses the phrase. Kingdom is about people being reconciled and coming under his rule. And if you look particularly at the last chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, from morning till evening he explained and declared them the, to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of, the, uh, of Moses and the prophets. And boldly and without hindrance he preached the kingdom of God and taught them about the Lord Jesus. That's how we bring the kingdom in, through a saviour. I remember a lady um, when we were in Surrey and um, she, she was headmistress of a school. Only she owned the school. It was one of those private schools that charged you a king's ransom. I don't know. Are I suppose there is house or something. But anyway, she had her own school. And it was in Surrey. And all, all the little boys and girls paid a lot of money to go to Jan's school. Her, her daughter um, had a, was a troubled soul and came into contact with the church youth group and became a believer and Jan, the headmistress, the woman of means, came on a Sunday. And came again. And presumably thought that she wa- that we weren't quite as bad as she was expecting. A- and almost began to blend in. And I remember sometime afterwards I was talking, so it's amazing you became a Christian, Jan. Because of a whole variety of reasons. And she said, yes, it was when you preached on Jesus and his kingdom. And I had to come under a king's authority. I had to bow my knee. Repentance was the way into the kingdom. She said, once I saw that. And it's true for all of us. We come to a servant. We also come to a saviour. The, the, I hope you like my alliteration. We also come to the sun. This is a very special kernel. Seed. Grain. And uh, it must have been a bit of a shock. I, I, this is another video I want to see in heaven. Because th- that we would see Jesus and Andrew and Philip are shuffling around and uh, introduce the, these people to Jesus. And Jesus goes on about his glory and the corn of wheat falling into the ground and dying and, and how they've got to be servants and, and how he's going to die. And then suddenly, there's a voice from heaven. What does that sound like? Some people thought it was an angel speaking to him. Some people thought it was a roar of thunder it was certainly attention-grabbing. The, the Father, at this point, a little bit at, at baptism, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Remember that was the, that voice from heaven? Or on the Mount of Transfiguration, when they thought they were going to build some little booths, you know, and trivialize it. Voice, this is my Son, in whom I delight. Those boom moments, voice from heaven, and there's another one here. There's another one here. That this is no ordinary seed of corn, and he affirms, bringing something very emphatic. This is the pre-existent Son of God here. This is the second person of what we call the Trinity. This is one who is co-equal with the Father. This is no. This is an extraordinary grain that's going to die here that the whole Godhead is operating and salvation is being won here on a cosmic scale God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself it's more than a chat with Jesus God is saying it's not a little conversation you need we need to have a very, very clear sense of who he is. Can you remember when you first heard about the Christian faith? And then you, your heart was becoming sympathetic and you were interested and people were trying to explain and they thought you were thick and, and then, you know, you, you begin to get it. But then there's the, t- the moment when you realise this isn't like joining the youth group or the scouts. That God is in this. I, 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 I'm not sure if i said before, but I was. I'd been to some meetings, and 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 things have been explained to me, and I was in part struggling with my response, a bit half and a bit trying to go two ways at the same time. And I'm I'm driving home over a a, a, a moor in Lancashire, and. I can only say that the Lord came in the car. I was so rattled by it, I had to pull over and park on the side of the road. And I, this is God. This is th- There is something here which is just enormous. Being a Christian is encountering God. I, I think that's why the Father shouted from heaven. The Greeks must meet Jesus on God's terms in awe. And just as Jesus spoke the Father's words, so must they. As Jesus did the Father's work, so must they. As Jesus reflected the Father's image, so must they. And this is that where this whole section about being light and walking in the light and reflecting his light comes into its own. It was quite, it was quite an answer to a request for a meeting, wasn't it? I, I don't think Jesus ignored them at all. I think he wanted them to understand who they were going to want to see. That's why John wrote the gospel, that we might believe. But if we are going to believe and trust in the Lord Jesus, we come to a servant who will make us a servant. We come to a saviour who will completely change, cleanse And accept, and we come to the Son of God, and we will be in awe. Let's bow our heads together. It would be a tragedy if we went through life and didn't meet you. And you invite us to come to you, but to come to a servant and a saviour, and a son. And Lord, we come again. We come to this kingdom and we bow again and we say, Lord, I want to come under your reign and for you to reign in my life. Make me a servant. Make me a forgiven sinner. Make me someone who lives in awe of the Son. In Jesus' name, amen.